0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we wrap up our series on the life of Samson. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil takes us through Samson's downfall in Judges 16 as we consider what corroded or snapped in Samson's life. We're reminded that Samson's moral failure didn't happen in a vacuum, but rather It was the thousands of deliberate but avoidable steps in the wrong direction. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some guidance that will keep things from snapping in our lives as we're challenged to look at areas of our life that are moving us away from God.
1: Hey, Bay Hills, how you guys doing? Before we get to the study and everything, let's deal with what we have to deal with. How about them cubs? Uh, did you guys think about me when they won? Yeah. I know you did. I know you did. I was, uh, I was uh, sicker than... I want, desperately wanted to be here last week, but I was so sick. I wanted to be here not so much for the sermon, just to gloat. You know how I am. And uh, I, was, uh, I was at a conference in Dallas. It was a conference about uh, racial reconciliation and leading a multi-ethnic church. I'll talk to you more about that at some point. It was a great conference. I wanted to go. Uh, but I was watching the Cubs, sicker than a dog, in this hotel room in Dallas. You know? And the eighth inning happened, and I was like, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to have to change churches, because you know? pretty much you <laughs> haven't been praying for the Cubs. And, so, and then when they pulled it off, I mean, I, I was by myself in this hotel room, almost midnight, jumping up and down, sicker than a dog. And I was like, i got to go into the lobby and find somebody, anybody, and just hug them. You know, and then I decided not to because that would require me put my pants on, and so I just decided. Sorry about that image, but I just decided I'm not going to do it. How do I celebrate? So I, the only thing I could think of is to take an extra couple swigs of Nyquil. So that's what I did. You know, I don't know if that's wrong or not, but um, anyway, it's good to be back. I, uh, I'm I'm feeling somewhat better. My throat—I don't sound very great, but uh, I, I'm feeling much much better. I appreciate you guys' prayer. We are wrapping up our series in the book in the story of Samson. Grab your study guide. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to page 255, Judges chapter 16, or pull it up on your phone. Uh, we got a lot of interesting things that we're going to go over today as we wrap up this story. Uh, about a month ago, I uh, rolled out of bed, got a cup of coffee, opened up my laptop, and the the, the news site that came up on my laptop every morning, that had a story that caught my attention, and I read it. And, and it was about a bridge... Uh, in, in the city of Kolkata, India, and let me show you this bridge. Let's put it up there. Uh, it's a bridge that is used almost more for pedestrians than it is for vehicles. You can see this is a good example every morning of how literally thousands of folks get on this bridge and they walk to the other side of the city and they and they uh, to do their jobs and everything. But the story was was about what happened. In March, uh, on March the 31st of this year, uh, what happened is this bridge collapsed. Let me show you this next image. Now, uh, it surprised me as I read the story, bridges collapsing is a more normal thing than we would imagine. It just doesn't hit the news as often. But why this became a news story and why it captivated my interest is because what they had determined months after was the cause Of the bridge falling apart. And here's what they determined. Just a couple bolts. Just a couple. Bolts and nuts had corroded. Just two of over 20,000. Had corroded on that bridge. And you go "How, how can one bolt corroding cause that? Well what happened it was it was a domino effect. And one bolt corroding snapping created Tension and it created a fault on another area and one thing led to another and it resulted in this 27 people lost their lives Over 80 people uh, were hurt very seriously and it created of course a tremendous amount of, of Monetary damage when I read this story, you know what I thought of I thought of Samson Here's a guy who's an incredibly imposing figure He is, he is strong beyond belief But there was a there was a couple couple issues in his life that corroded a couple, a couple things that snapped in his life, and before you knew it, what happened to that bridge, happened to Samson. Uh, last week, Dave Sauer, uh, I was very appreciative of him jumping in last minute. It is much harder than you think. Covered uh, some of those issues. The one we all know about is is lust. That was a major bolt that snapped in his life. But there were other things that corroded, like like anger. He couldn't control himself emotionally. Like pride. He thought he was all that, right? And these, these issues, they, they bubbled up, they boiled up in his life, they corroded, they snapped, and everything came crashing down. Week one, we looked at Samson's family life. Last week, we looked at, let's just call it his party life. Today, we look at the end of his life. Today, it all ends. And and if you know the story of Samson, many of us focus on the Samson and Delilah story. But immediately thereafter comes the death of Samson, the end of Samson. And so we're, we're going to look at this. I think it's going to be helpful to us. I hope it's going to be helpful as we uh, uh, learn some things about how to make sure this doesn't happen to us. Now, in order to, to kind of protect my voice a little bit, I've got two of these that I'm going to do. I'm actually going to ask uh, Brigitte, our church administrator, to read the verses uh, as we're going through. I know it's incredibly dangerous to give her an open mic throughout the whole <laughs> sermon, so I'm just... Get my fingers crossed. No, no, I I think it'll help me and get a little bit of water in between. So we're going to start with the first verse. We'll put it up there and you know, read for us.
2: One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her.
1: So the main idea, the main theme, the big point of this story in Judges chapter 16 is this. Samson's moral failure, his life that came crashing down as a result of the sin in his life. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It didn't happen all of a sudden. It didn't come out of nowhere. Instead, Samson's moral failure was the result of thousands deliberate and intentional steps in the wrong direction. Let me say that one more time. Samson's moral failure did not happen in a vacuum out of nowhere. Instead, it was the result of thousands of intentional and deliberate but avoidable steps in the wrong direction. And it, it gets introduced in verse 1. There are three phrases, three words, that immediately should catch your attention, as in, uh-oh, red flags coming up all over. Let, let's let start with the most obvious one, the last one. I, I don't think I have to spend much time telling you that, that this book tells us you shouldn't spend time with prostitutes, right? <laughs> that That's not what you should do. So you have right in that in that one word the idea of illicit sex, unhealthy sex, unbiblical sex. Right, So I think we get that. I don't need to spend much more time there. Let me spend a little more time explaining the ones that maybe aren't so obvious. You see, when chapter 16 starts, when, when you read the Old Testament, the, the first phrase that you see there, one day, it's, it's almost code for uh-oh. That's the same way the story starts with David and Bathsheba, one day. Now, why this is so interesting is because that phrase comes on the heels of what is possibly the most complimentary verse in the entire Bible on Samson. The last verse of chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, the last verse of chapter 15 says this, Samson led the Israelite led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. See, this is the this is the writer of Judges very quickly trying to give Samson a thumbs up. By the way, for for 20 years Samson did a good job. For 20 years, Samson was successful. For 20 years, what God has selected him for, he did. Samson, chapter 15, thumbs up. First verse, chapter 16. But one day. You see, this is the equivalent of what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 10. Where he says, if you think you're standing firm, if you think you're heading in the right direction, if you're persevering in a life of faith, If you've spent 20 years doing what God wants you to do, you better still keep your defenses up. You better still be on guard. Because everything can come crashing down in one day. Chapter 16, Samson begins to write a a new chapter in his story. And the 20 years of success that he had as, as a judge, as a magistrate, as a general of the Israelite army, all comes crashing down. In one day. And it's not meant to scare you. It's meant to remind you. Meant to remind you. Keep your guard up. Always. Constantly. Now the one that kind of eludes us. Because of, of course we don't know. Palestinian geography is the location. Gaza. But this is why Bible study. It can be so much more rewarding than just Bible reading. When you begin to read. Uh, you and, and identify what Gaza is. Gaza is the capital city of the Philistines. In other words, it's the capital of the enemy. Now, it would be a quite completely different story if Samson is taking a battalion of Jewish soldiers to attack Gaza. He's not going to attack Gaza. He's going to party with them. He's going to get me some sex, quick and easy. That's why he's going to Gaza. And and right away, it's telling you, uh uh-oh, we got a problem. Now what you need to understand about Gaza. Samson lives in Zora. He's going to Gaza. Again, geographically you don't you, you, we may not understand it, but these are it, it, this isn't like Sabrani and Panol. It's not like they're back to back. You see the different distance between Zora, which is where Samson lives and Gaza is 25 miles. 25 miles. Someone has uh, very, uh, I think, astutely calculated. Because, of course, you know back in those days they don't have bark. So the only way he's going from Zora to Gaza is he's walking. And what they've calculated is that he had to have walked 25,250 steps to go from his home to Gaza. 25,250 steps in the wrong direction. One step in the wrong direction, two steps in the wrong direction, and three, and four, and five, and six, and seven, and so on. Let me bring you back to the main thesis, the big point of this story, but let me make it very personable to you and to me. When we fail morally, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Instead, it is most likely the result of deliberate intentional thousands of steps in the wrong direction question it's going to be our concluding question i'm going to give it to you now because i want it to simmer is there any area in your life right now you're heading in the wrong direction any area in your life that you're walking, taking steps in the wrong direction. Oh, it may not be that big of a deal. You're only 10 steps in the wrong direction. You're only a 100 steps in the wrong direction. You, you haven't done the deed yet, but you're heading in the wrong direction. It could be something as simple as, you know what, uh, the, the the books you read, the TV shows you watch, the movies you watch. It could be something as uh, the music you listen to. Oh, come on, Pastor. Really? Now, now it's the Nyquil speaking in you. You're going a little, little off, a little legalistic now. Maybe. But let me just be honest with yourself. You be honest with yourself. Does the music you listen to, the movies you watch, the books you read, are they God honoring or not? You figure it out. And if they're not God honoring, just be honest. You're walking in the wrong direction. At the very least, it's impacting your mind. It could be something a little more serious. Like, uh, the friends you have, because the friends you have, um, they don't honor God. And instead of you influencing them, they're influencing you. It could be something a little more serious. Like, uh um, like Samson had, he struggled with his drinking. How are you doing in that area? I mean, it's one thing to have a beer with your pizza or some wine with your spaghetti And then it's quite another thing to have a six pack or fifth or whatever it is that people and they lose control or it's drugs or it's what Samson had his his the way he worked out his sexuality. Maybe for you, it's porn. I mean, let's just it's us. Let's just be honest and ask yourself, because I these 25 minutes are meant to help you. So while I'm going through the story. You need to lock into your mind. What area, what path am I going down in my life and I'm heading in the wrong direction? Maybe I haven't done the deed yet. Maybe I haven't, you know, gone off the cliff, but I'm heading in that direction. Every one of us is going at least in one area in the wrong direction. Now, what I want to break down for you and try and help you understand, because once you understand the process, it it helps you know how to get out of it and safeguard your soul. So what I want to do is I want to show you the three relatively small mistakes that Samson made that led to an incredibly huge downfall. And just be honest with yourself. Is this true in my life? Okay. As we're going through this. So Brigitte's going to read the next couple verses and we're going to jump in.
2: The people of Gaza were told Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying at dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron.
1: Here's the first mistake he makes. He underestimates the enemy. So there, there, is, there is hints in the story that Samson knows what's happening. So, so, so he, he, he's in the brothel, and he knows that the Philistines are surrounding him. If you know the story of Samson and Delilah, uh, you, you know, he kind of does the same. He knows what's happening. He knows they're surrounding him. And he's like, it's no big deal. I got this. I mean, I mean, I'm ripped. I'm so much stronger th- th- than they are. And, 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 and what he does is he not only fights his way out, but he taunts them. Did you catch what he did at the end? As he's living, leaving the city, he tears down the, the, the city gates, the doors, and takes them up a hill. Historians and commentators tell us that these doors weighed approximately 700 pounds. This dude was strong. And he's kind of, you know, he goes, to, he goes to his men's small group on Wednesday nights, right? And he's shared with them about, you know, what he's been doing. And, and a couple of the guys have spoken up and, and they're like, Samson, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And he's like, chill out, guys. Man, I'm just, I'm just so much. Immod- just relax. I got this. this. It's me. There's no way they're going to take me down. Right? And, and, and he underestimates the strength. He taunts them. He toys with them of the enemy. Um, some of you may recognize this. Let's put this image up there. Do my Filipinos recognize this? This is in the Philippines. Mount Pinatubo. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Okay, Mount Pinatuba, it's a gorgeous location, vacation location. It's gorgeous, isn't it? People go there on hikes and uh, it's very, very pretty. Okay, Um, except on June the 15th, 1991, it wasn't so pretty. It it looked like this dozens of people lost their lives. The army had to abandon the base it was in. Property damaged approached $1 million, uh, $1 billion. Do you know why? Well, it's because Mount Pinatubo was actually a dormant volcano that had been silent for 600 years. But in June of 1991, it came back to life. It was, it was interesting when they were doing articles on this um, and, and asking about the incredible destruction caused by the volcano A scientist from the Philippines Department of Volcanology said this. Listen, it's very interesting. When a volcano is silent for many years, people actually start to forget that it's a volcano. And they start to treat it like it's a mountain. That's what caused the damage. You know what? We do the exact same thing with sin. You know what sin looks like to us? Picture on the left. You see, that's the point. The point you and I sin, even though we know we shouldn't be doing it, is because it's either fun, or it cuts corners, or it gets us where we want to go quicker. That's why we do it. And and you and I are are, are taking hikes uh, to the picture on the left, forgetting all along that in the end, the goal of sin, the goal of the enemy is the picture on the right. Samson made this mistake. He underestimated the enemy. The the second mistake he made is that he flirted with sin. He flirted with sin. If we can read verse 4 now.
2: Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah.
1: Okay, so now we get to Delilah. What I want to point out to you is verse 1... He has a sexual physical encounter with a woman by verse four. The relationship he has with the woman is incredibly more serious and potentially destructive. And it's because of the first phrase that I have highlighted. You see, now it's not just a a quickie. Now it's not just a physical involvement, a sexual involvement with this woman. Verse one, that's, it's not that now it's much more serious. You know what it is? He's now emotionally attached. It's why I, as your pastor, always caution you, be careful who you date, especially when it comes to whether you guys are on the same page spiritually, because if you're not on the same page spiritually, you're trying to pull them toward God and and then whether they realize it or not, they're pulling you away from God. And here's the problem. If you start to have feelings for them, now you're in deep trouble because now it's much harder to get out of it which is exactly what happens to Samson. He he's emotionally involved in this relationship with a woman named Delilah. Again, the geography is meant to give us a hint as to and a reminder of who she is. Valley of Sorek. Guess what territory that is? Once again, that's Philistine territory. Time and time And time again, story after story, chapter after chapter, it's like he's got a blind spot. And this is his blind spot. Question, which is yours? Just Which is your blind spot? What's that one area in your life that the 10 people around you that know you best are going, oh my goodness gracious, but you don't see it. What is it? We all tend to have a blind spot or some area in, your, in our lives that we minimize. Ah, it's no, that, not, not that big of a deal. His first problem is that he underestimated the enemy. The second problem is that he flirted with sin. Do you guys re- remember the, these two guys, don't you? I know the picture's not that great, but you, you know who those guys are, right? Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy had a show in Vegas that was the number one show. I think it was at the Mirage. And it was the most attended top show, top grossing show in Vegas for the longest time while it was there until October the 3rd, 2003. On October the 3rd, 2003, in the middle of one of their shows, it was a kind of, a, I guess, a, uh, an entertainment magic show. And um, uh, Roy Horn, which is the guy on the on the left, they still aren't sure what happened either. He went into some sort of a kind of convulsion or he shaked a little bit and and it threw off the white tiger they were working with the white tiger lunged at him and bit him in the neck and wouldn't let go and that was the end of the show afterwards they some of the commentaries that were made was you know those two guys they spent thousands And thousands of hours as animal trainers working with these white lions and these white tigers. Thousands of hours training them to do these tricks and working with them and so on and so forth. But but always in every single article, there was always a commentary that said, but they missed one important component. Lions and tigers still at their core want to attack humans. It's who they are. It's what their DNA is. And regardless of the thousands of hours to control and to make them tame, down deep, at any point in time, they can lunge. Don't let me have you forget what James says. Satan is like a roaring lion. And he's looking and waiting, and he's looking and he's waiting when to lunge. Samson, he underestimated the enemy. He flirted with sin. Paid for it dearly. And and the third thing is, uh, and you've got to dig a little bit here, Samson had what I call a flawed theology. He had a flawed theology. His thinking was off. Now, if you have your Bibles, you're especially going to want to follow. This is the chunk of the story. I'm going to have Brigitte read verses 5 through 21, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it.
2: The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them with, tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength, which such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison.
1: By the way, it's that time of year. For those of you who are wondering, um, if you have laryngitis um, or sore throat, apple cider vinegar, honey, and if you really want it to have a kick, just a little bit of brandy. It's really, really... No, I'm just just kidding. (laughs) The scariest verse to me, the most upsetting verse to me, and the entire story of Samson is chapter 16, verse 20. Let me show you. She called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. who awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. You, you, you know, don't you? I mean, all you got to do is just read the note at the bottom of, of the page. His strength didn't literally come from his hair. It wasn't that he was at the gym and he was doing all the weights. What, what, Where he got his strength one was from God. The long hair was a, a representative, symbolic of his relationship to God. And the minute he has nothing to do with God, that's when his strength leaves him. But what catches my attention, what scares me is this. If Samson someone selected by God, someone anointed by God, someone chosen by him to accomplish a task. If Samson could get to the point where he didn't realize God had left him, any one of us could. Any one of us could be sitting here thinking, assuming uh, God's with me. And maybe, just maybe, we're in the same boat that Samson's in. Now, why did this happen? That's the issue. How did he not know this, right? And what I'd like to suggest is it was his theology. It was his thinking. It's very simple. Any basic counseling psychology class will teach you this. What you think impacts how you feel, and how you feel determines what you do. It's very simple. What you think impacts how you feel. How you feel determines what you do. That's why it's so important to make sure what you have in your brain, what you're thinking about life, about parenting, about marriage, about career, about God is so important. You've got to get it right here. So it impacts you here. So then your actions are right. And in my opinion, his theology, you got to read between the lines just a little bit. It's all off. There's a major flaw in his thinking. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it up here. This is what. Samson thought, I'm a Nazarite. You and I would say, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I go to church. I I throw a few bucks in the offering every once in a while. I serve here and there. You know, I, I, I read my Bible occasionally during the week, you know. I'm in. And you are. Your commitment to Jesus Christ makes a tremendous impact after death for you. Thumbs up. I don't want you to doubt that. But the flaw in Samson thinking, the flaw in many of our thinking is this. I'm a Christian. I'm a Nazarite. Therefore, God will or in fact is obligated to take care of me. One small problem. This book doesn't teach that. Doesn't teach it. Oh, I, I'm glad you're a Christian. I really am. You are a brother or a sister in Christ. But just because you've given your life to Christ does not obligate God to, quote, take care of you. It doesn't. That is flawed thinking. Let me give you accurate biblical doctrine and theology. Let's start with this. Accurate theology. God's love for you is unconditional. In other words, no matter if you screw up and how big of a screw up you, you, you do, he still loves you. That's a big deal. And he's going to express that love to you. God is willing to give you a second and a third and a fourth and so on chance. In other words, he's never going to give up on you. Ever, ever, ever. You want back in on the right path, he'll be right there with you. Next, God's grace, God's mercy toward us is undeserving. He never gives us everything we really deserve. So that's the first part of theology. But there's a second part, and here's the second part. Put it up. God's blessing in my life, God's power in my life, God's protection in my life is always based on my obedience. You catch that? How many here want God's blessing? I would assume everybody would. I want that. I'm in. I want God's blessing. I'm not even sure what that means, but I want that. I want God's blessing. So God says, okay, we're going to make a deal. I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want to give you strength, power, protection, guidance, wisdom, and life. So I'm going to show you how to live life in order to, quote, be successful. So I'm going to give you this roadmap. Right? With all these signs of what to do, what not to do, how fast to drive, where not to go. Right? Here's your roadmap. If you follow the roadmap, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to empower you. But if you choose to deliberately and intentionally not go on the road map? Well, you're on your own. Do do you see the flaw in his thinking? I'm a Nazarite, he's going to take care of me. No, not necessarily. I'm a Christian, he's going to empower me, he's going to protect me. No, not necessarily. At some point in time, what you and I do is always based upon how we feel. And what we feel is based upon what we think. Your theology, your doctrine is crazy important. If this is the word of God, do it. Then you get God's blessing. Beyond that, you get a hybrid model of some of his blessing, but not all of his blessing. Some of his protection, but not all of his protection. Small mistakes that led to a huge, huge downfall. We're going to wrap it up. I'm just going to give you a couple of what I see as concluding observations. Verses 23 through 24. Brigitte, if you don't mind reading those.
2: Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain.
1: Um... One of the consequences of sin, moral failure in our life is that we suffer some way, somehow. We might suffer financially, or we might suffer relationally, or in, in Samson's case, he suffered physically. I don't even want to explain to you what it means and how the Philistines would gouge out someone's eyes. It's disgusting. But you kind of have to imagine that hurt. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't, that's not a concluding observation. That's too obvious. The conc- one of the concluding observations that I want to do is I want to point out to you, when they've got him shackled and they want to taunt him now, I want you to notice, and I have it highlighted on the screen, the, the emphasis that they place on their God, Dagon, their pagan, their pagan Philistine God. Our God. Our, and here's the point. My God is better and he's stronger than your God. And here's the observation. My moral failure always impacts God's glory. Let me say that one more time. My moral failure always impacts God's glory. Let me explain to you what God's glory is. God's glory, it doesn't, some of us think, oh, that's how, how shiny he is in heaven when people worship it. That has nothing to do with it. God's glory refers to his reputation. What people think of God is his glory. Now, if you and I screw up in life, it doesn't affect his character. He's completely honest. He's completely pure. He's completely wise. It doesn't affect his character at all, what you and I do. But you and I do, what you and I do does affect his glory. People that we care about, that aren't Christians, our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates... Our neighbors, our family members, you know what they think of God? It's not based upon what they hear at church and what they read in the Bible because they don't read their Bibles. They don't go to church. You want to know what they think of God? It's based upon you. You. Your life, your words, your actions impacts God's reputation. It impacts God's glory. To me, that's daunting. To me, that's motivating. Because now it's not just me living in a little bubble. No, what I do impacts people out there that don't yet love and embrace Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Someone quacked right over there. Oh, Someone's phone is throwing me off. I thought the NyQuil was speaking to me here. Okay. The next couple verses we're going to read. Now, I'm going to set it up and then Brigitte's going to read verse 28. Now they start taunting him. They bring him out and want him to entertain. It it, it suggests in verse 25 that they're drunk. And, and, And they put Samson out front to make him perform. And he asks someone, take me to where the pillars are at. He, he started to recommit his life to Christ, which is the hint is his hair starts growing back. It's not just that his hair starts growing back. It's that he's recommitted his life to Christ. And then we read this verse 28.
2: Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him with, between Zorah and Eshtabal in the tomb of Mehoah, his father. Manoah sorry he had led Israel 20 years
1: okay that was my next point but that's a, that's okay no that's all right Brigitte <laughs> that's all right Or she she wants to go I know I can get that so do you it's all right <laughs> verse 28 was the highlight remember the emphasis that they had on Dagon notice his his emphasis right now it's on Yahweh God the Bible God You know what's interesting in the story of Samson? We never hear Samson prayed. You don't see that. Which is why it's such a big deal here in verse 28. Finally, he is recommitting and coming back home. He's coming back home. If you're jotting down notes, let's put the next slide up there. When when you and I sin... When we you and I experience moral failure, let me t- share with you the two responses. The natural response is remorse here's what more remorse sounds like uh I am so sorry that what I did hurt you um i'm I feel bad i i i I messed up i'm bummed because now all of you think i'm a jerk based upon what i did i I, I feel horrible about that, right? Now, what's interesting about remorse is that when you listen carefully and read in between the lines, when someone is remorseful, there always seems to be a tinge of rationalization or justification for what they did. They're trying to explain away why I screwed up the way I did. Well, if my boss paid me what I'm really worth, I wouldn't have had to steal. If the government would do their job, I wouldn't have to cheat on my taxes. If the teacher would do their job, I wouldn't have had to cheat on the exam. If my spouse would have met my needs. I mean, I'm Samson. I got needs. I'm a I'm, a, I'm an ombre. I didn't get enough sex. So, you know, I had to do what I had to do. It's always in between with remorse. There's not ownership. I did it, I was wrong. It's always like, well, you know, I did it, but it was kind of your fault too. The reason that I lost it is because, well, you're a jerk. That's remorse. And what I'd like to suggest is that there's a better way. It's called repentance. And repentance is very simple and it's extremely difficult. This is what repentance sounds like. I was wrong. It was my fault, number one. I fully accept the consequences, number two. I want to change, number three. I was wrong. I accept the consequences. By the way, just because you say you're sorry doesn't mean the consequences go away. And number three, I'm going to change. And what you see in Samson at the end is repentance. It's not there, but you can almost hear him saying, God, I get it. I get it. I messed up. It's on me. Oh, of course, there's always a context in terms of why we do what we do. But I'm taking ownership for what I did. The last concluding point is that even in our failures, God can nevertheless accomplish his purposes. That's the verses that Brigitte read where he pushes the the columns down and the, 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 the temple comes down. The purpose for which God had called Samson... Don't let the term judge fool you. Yes, he was a civil magistrate. Yes, he was to, you know, dictate sentences on different things. But the word judge also you kind of have to understand is slash colonel or general. The primary purpose for which God calls Samson is protect my people from the Philistines. Take the promised land for which I've given you away from the Philistines Fight the Philistines and and somewhere along the path, he, he lost his way. But in the end, he comes back home in the end, even in our failures, some of us have had some pretty big screw ups, haven't we? Haven't we more than one or two? You know, the good news is God's in the business of restoration God's in the business of taking our broken lives and still bringing glory to himself and building his kingdom anyway, and he can do it through you. Don't ever let the enemy whisper in your ear, you know what? There's no hope for you anymore. That's a lie. There's always the opportunity for God to take our mess-ups, our screw-ups, our failures, and bring something good out of it. I'm going to read the concluding verse, and here it is right here. Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, get rid of everything that hinders us. What is that? It's the sin that so easily entangles us. There's a story about a little boy and he has a little toy boat and he's playing with the boat on, on the pond and um, the, the, the the boat starts to float away and he starts to get concerned because he he's, the boat's getting away from him. And then there's a guy, there's, there's a guy on the other side of the pond, to his surprise and to his horror, this guy starts throwing rocks at his boat. And this little, little kid is like, what the heck is this guy doing? He's trying to hurt and destroy my boat. And he's horrified that, one, the boat's floating away from him. Two, there's this guy on the other side throwing rocks. And then the boy realizes something. Every single rock that the guy is throwing is falling short of the boat. Every rock is causing a little wave, a little ripple that is in fact pushing the boat closer and closer to shore back to him. You know, when you and I wander, it might seem like God the Father is throwing rocks. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to nudge you and he's trying to push you And he's trying to bring you back home. As we wrap up, I'm going to have Luis or Savannah, whoever's back there, come up. And I want to ask you this closing question again. Is there anything in your life that's corroding? Your bridge, your life might have 20,000 of these bolts. But if one or two of them are corroding, just one or two, it has the potential to bring it all crashing down. Last question, and then we're going to have just a little time of reflection. What area in your life are you taking a step away from God? Please don't waste the last 30 minutes of your life. Find that one or two things. I'm walking, I'm heading in the wrong direction. I don't want to go there. I keep going there, it's going to corrode, and then it's going to snap, and then it's too late. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to take a few moments of reflection. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind that one area, those two areas, you got to get under control. That one area, those two areas, you're heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to ask you and encourage you to confess that and to make a commitment to your God right now. I'm going to change. Do that right now. Why don't we stand and I'll close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how practical it is. The story of Samson, it didn't end that well until the last couple verses, where we see a man that you had chosen, you had selected, you had loved, you had gifted and empowered to do great things for you, and he went down the wrong path. 25,000 plus steps in the wrong direction. Father, Every one of us has at least one area of our life right now. We're heading in the wrong direction. It could be a small issue or a big issue, but it, we're heading in the wrong direction. Father, help us get back with the roadmap, the roadmap and get back on track. Father, we love you. It is our privilege to serve you. And we want to honor you and bring glory to your name and to your son, Jesus. Father, as we wrap up our service time today, we want to pray for our country and most specifically uh, uh, what happened this week with the election. We knew going into it that no matter who got selected, uh, that individual would be the least popular president in the history of our country. Father, there's been all kinds of unhappy people, displeased people throughout this week. In a room this size, there I'm sure were a few people that voted for one candidate and a few that voted for the other father remind us that we are first christians before we are americans father remind us that both parties are ultimately flawed because they are full with flawed people remind us that the hope for this country is not the right president not the right supreme court not the right laws the hope for this nation is jesus it's always been jesus Father, work through us. Work through your people. Father, we want to do our little part to change and transform our community to point people to Jesus. We love you and we're asking you to do that in our lives first, in the lives of our families and in our church, and ultimately in in the life of our country that we love. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people say. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.